Today's episode of the Hitman Podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. All you need is a computer or your phone and a valid email address. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on different platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need is at your disposal. All you have to do is start today by downloading the free Anchor app and go to anchor.fm to get started. Coming up for the inaugural episode of the Hitman's Podcast, me and Mo going to go through The Last Dance, episodes 7 and 8. We got the Woo Out the Bams coming up, a bunch of different topics for the week, and what we're looking forward to going into the next set as we conclude The Last Dance documentary. Let's get into it. Finally, we getting started. Yes, yes, yes. We've been working on this forever, and finally we get to roll it out, bro. What's going on? Hey, what's good, my brother? Man, here. I'm so happy to get First started. First episode. Yes, sir. First episode, man. I'm so Let's excited. I'm so excited. Let's get right into it, man. Appreciate y'all joining us, listening in. Welcome to the Hitman Podcast, episode one. Let's go right into it, bro. What you got? Hey, first and foremost, man, enjoy it, man. It's the first episode. I, let me introduce myself. I'm Mo, and I got my partner over there, Chris. Yeah, we are the yeah, Hitman. yeah, yeah. And this is the first episode of the Hitman Podcast. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. That's all man. I wanted to say. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all in trouble now, boy. Hey, man. So, you know, the reason why we want to put this podcast together really was, I mean, Chris, I've been know we've been knowing each other for what? Over 10 years. Forever. Now. <laughs> you know? Seems like forever. forever. Seems like forever, you know? And uh from the first day we met each other, all we do is talk about, you know, sports and the culture. So, you know, with what we got going on right now, what better what better time to put this together, man, and talk about, you know, what's going on. And then we got things that's always going on in the culture, man. So we mash these two up, man, and bring it to the people, and hopefully, you know, you guys like it. Before we get into it, shout-out to all the mothers. Happy belated Mother's Day to everybody. Hope everybody's Absolutely. staying safe. I know it's tough out here with this coronavirus. Hit it, Cardi. Coronavirus! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we're glad that y'all here. Uh, what a better way to get started than to talk about the last dance. This aired episode seven and eight last night. We got some real meat and potatoes in these episodes, bro. We finally mm-hmm. got down to the to the core of what it, what drove, you know, our, our hero, 
growing up, our yeah. idol growing up. You know, both of us Absolutely. being from Chicago. That was our childhood. We reliving it right now. But seven and Absolutely. eight, it got down to the nitty gritty of, of that 98 season. And we, what really drove Mike, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it was one of those, this episode, uh, The Last Dance, first of all, the documentary is amazing. Uh, but seven and eight really was able to resonate with me because this was probably around the time where I really understood what basketball was. I was around, you know, seven, eight, and around this time, and um, I could just remember it. I vividly remember when Michael first retired, you know? My parents, not even basketball fans, was just sad that Michael Jordan was retiring, but I didn't know exactly what type of impact that made um, on the city of Chicago and the world. So being able to see that and then being able to fast forward and them talking about that championship in 96, that 72 and 10 season, which for yourself, Chris, I mean, I was in front of the TV every night um, watching every game. We oh, had a bird's eye view being in Chicago. We was able to see every single game, which was a blessing. Um, now that we, now that I think about it, that we was able to see Mike every single night on that TV. Um, we got to see the behind the scenes of in these episodes of who Michael Jordan really was as a competitor. You know, um, what made him, what what he did to drive his teammates to that level of excellence. And, uh, I mean, some of the stuff was eye-opening. So, obviously, without having to rehash it or, or share the sentiments of my fellow Chicagoans, Jerry Krause was a clown. First of all, there's no backstabbing going on here, okay? Okay? You understand me when I say that? Is is <laughs> If they were able to make a... I don't know, like a biopic or a reenactment of the last dance into a movie, Jerry Krause would probably be the most deplorable human being out there. He broke up the team. He discounted and discredited Phil Jackson, who's the winningest. You know, the, he's the greatest coach in NBA history. You know what I'm saying? And he yeah. treated him like he was nothing. And just a bit of context for folks that don't know, for folks that didn't grow up in Chicago, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago Bulls, also was the owner of the Chicago White Sox. There was a there was a time uh, in the press where Jerry Reinsdorf said something along the lines of he would trade all six Chicago Bulls championships for one championship with the Chicago White Sox. Just let that sink Sweet. in for a second. That shows you where his priorities were, and that shows you how much he valued Michael having Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Phil Jackson and the Chicago Bulls franchise. He really didn't think that much of it. And Jerry Krause was just a follower. He was right lock and step with Jerry Reinsdorf at the time. So you all got a glimpse of it in the documentary. You saw what their demeanor was. Jordan was underpaid for a vast majority of time with his, with, you know, with his career with the Bulls. $3 million is what he was getting paid salary-wise before he retired. Unbelievable. Not to mention, we're not even going to get into the first couple of episodes when they talked about what, what Triple P was getting paid. Man, you know what I'm saying? Scottie One of the, Pippen was getting shafted. Man, man. man. Shafted. It's, it's no I one. Felt, I felt sick to my stomach watching that, seeing that episode and seeing what he was making all the way up until 97 and 98 um, in those seasons. And and for him to be, what, the sixth highest paid player on that on those championship teams, on that th on those three-peat teams, made me, uh, I mean, made me sick to my stomach. I, I uh, you know, fully I'm agreeing with you on your sentiments about them just being kind of crazy owners and crazy in management. I've always thought that um, the management of the Chicago Bulls franchise has always led to um, the demise even after Jordan. And so I've always been, you know, yelling those sentiments going out. But um, I do believe in 
you learn a big lesson as far as uh, these athletes today, even today, you, you bet on yourself. Um, Scottie Pippen, understood, understandably so, never probably saw that much money in his lifetime coming from, uh, where, you know, Arkansas. Um, never seen that type of money, uh, want to take care of his family. So, of course, the first numbers that were put in front of him, you know, he signed. He did recruit most of that money after his, his playing days with the, with the Bulls. But in that time, you know, you, you being the catalyst, the, the Robin to uh, Michael's Batman, for those six championships and for you to be, you know, paid as low as you did, one, it made me sick to my stomach. And two, um, you know, it made me realize that, you know, Krause was going to get over. It doesn't matter. 1, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he did not believe that, you know, maybe I should, maybe we should restructure his contract. Um, but that's, that's the part of doing business. Business is sometimes, I mean, most of the time it's not, it's not pretty. It's ugly. It gets ugly at times. So um, I commend the players today that take advantage of the situation and some of these players that say, hey, I'm going to bet on myself. I don't care what you think. Um, and you see the kind of shift in power now from that, from that situation to where the managers have, you know, control to now. You're looking at 2020 and players have, I mean, all of the control uh, when it comes to say so on the money. So um, glad that that was shown. Um, in a documentary so that these players that are coming up now um, could see the benefit of betting on yourself, especially when you believe in your talent. Man, it's crazy. Like, we used to give Scotty shit about – they used to say his nickname was No Tipping Scotty Pippen because every restaurant he would go to, <laughs> he wouldn't leave a tip. But I guess we understand now why. Like, sure, <laughs> bro, I got to hold on to every dollar. Y'all just don't understand how they doing me. Yeah, man, I'm giving that minimum fifteen percent, man. I can't go. Hey, I know you. I know you think I'm balling like that, but man, I got people to take you care feel of. Me? Get that fifteen percent, and I'm out. So let's just give y'all a little bit of context of how the show is gonna go. We start off with the timeline of, of, of what's been going on in the week. Uh, obviously, coming from Chicago, culture is really important to us. Um, we decided to entitle this segment or the rundown of the segments called the Whoop the Bams. So the first topic, obviously, we getting into is the last dance. The first thing we had on the list, uh, Mo made a really major point when we were talking earlier off the off the air. Uh, do you feel that the media played a significant role in Mike retiring in 1993? Uh, yeah, man. Watching that that beginning of uh, episode seven and seeing Michael Jordan retire after the third championship. Um, if you were list if you were watching, you saw that after that championship um, about a month later, unfortunately, uh, Michael's uh, dad was murdered, you know, um, and he was murdered and found three weeks later, um, a very unfortunate uh, event that happened in Michael Jordan's life. Um, what made it even worse was the media used that, as a way to kind of bring Michael down and try to tear him down by saying that uh, he cont contributed to his dad's passing by his quote-unquote gambling problems or things that he may have done in his career that wasn't, uh, you know, the best. And I think that really hurt Mike. I mean, you, you see it in a documentary as he's talking. That really hurt him um, for your pops to not only pass away in the way that he did and then the media, you know, just trying to bring you down in it and blame you for your father's death. 
I ain't, I think that that hundred percent um, made Michael Jordan want to, you know, retire. You got three championships. Why not try to go for four? You know, I um, understand your dad's passing, but at the same time, when the media is doing nothing but crucifying you and making you seem like, you know, public enemy number one after you've, you know, gave your blood, sweat, and tears to the game and doing things that Magic and Bird didn't do, and you're carrying the game. Why not retire? Why not leave? If you guys don't like me, I'm out of here. And um, I, that's what I took from that. I think that the media most definitely, he was tired. You could see it on his face. He was tired of dealing with the media and having to, you know, explain himself for him wanting to spend his money how he wanted to, which was gambling. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with his pops, you know. His pops gambled with him. But it, it, I, hold, I, I mean, come on, Michael Jordan not being, able to, being, not being able to pay his debts, I'm not trying to, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that one bit. So, yeah, I definitely believe that. So with Jordan coming into the league, there was a there was a, a, a graphic put out today in regards to comparison to LeBron. When LeBron came into the NBA, he was already guaranteed over $100 million from shoe contracts and endorsements. When Mike came into the league, I think he was guaranteed somewhere around 15, between 15 and 20 million. Um, nevertheless, it speaks to your point that he wouldn't have been a, a a hard paymaster when it came to paying his debts. Mike had bread; he was all right. He obviously he suffered from a comp- a competition problem, but when it came down to paying his debts, he was always there to to you know with the bag to match you know his bravado. Uh, I want to say shout out to the director of, of the Last Dance, Jason. Here, he's gotten he he was very candid. He got a lot more out of Michael Jordan than anyone has gotten, and obviously this is a dream. Uh, situation to to have a documentary around, you know, one of the most no- noticeable or the one of the most notorious uh, humans on our planet. You know, Mon- Michael Jordan monopolized pop culture, sports culture. For now, we're in 2020 when he came in the league in '84. We're talking almost 40 years. Absolutely. He's been at the forefront of things. Even today, he's people are comparing. The luminaries in the NBA and, and the greatest athletes of our sport of, of of the sport to Michael Jordan still he is the, the he stick. is the measuring stick you understand so the fact that Jason here was able to you know get these get that raw emotion from Mike get these really candid answers where you don't have the accessibility to him when you're talking about him doing interviews or him being able to go out and speak this candidly off the cuff. You know, that takes a lot. That, that took a lot of, I'm sure, uh, conversation and just a certain comfort level that he had to build upon in order to get Mike to sit down and share these deep thoughts about, you know, growing up and even speaking to his father's death. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. a little bit of background behind that. I don't want to uh, go too deep into that because, you know, it's a really sensitive subject. But back in the day, um, you know, you saw a couple of the cars that Mike was in. You know, the Corvette was the thing. Nowadays, you hear about our culture and, you know, it's about the foreign cars and it's about, you know, the big body bins or the, you know, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. Back yeah. then, you know, Mike had a Corvette. He had a Porsche. Uh, he was driving a Range Rover to Maya Rashad in one of the episodes. But he bought his father a Lexus. And at the time, a Lexus was, you know, a top-of-the-line car. It still is to this day. But back then, a Lexus was like, bro, you in a Lexus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was driving. Obviously, he was on the border between North and South Carolina. Um, and he was on the road for a little while. He pulled over to get some rest. And these punks, you know, they were 18 years old. These punks decided to rob him. They saw this Lexus. They saw it was clean. It was nice. They, I don't know. I don't even know if they knew 
he was James Jordan, Michael Jordan's father or not, but they, you know, they 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 did what they did. You know, it was a heinous act, and from there, not only are you losing your father, but you're in the you're in the line, you're in the spotlight. You know what I'm saying? So you're having to deal with the media coming every which way, and then for them to just tear him down. We Americans or American culture, they love, you know, building somebody up just to tear them down. So when Mike decides to stop talking to the media during the playoffs and even up to the point where they they uh, highlighted where the, the leak got out that he was thinking about retiring. Part of it was he had already – it wasn't just about his father passing. It was about the fact that he was burnt out. He had beaten everybody in the league. He had done – he had won the championship and got to the mountaintop three times, three times in a row, and he did it at the highest caliber. He was leading the league in scoring. He had a defensive player of the year award. He had won multiple MVPs at that point, scoring titles. He's a 10-time scoring champion. So what else is there for me to do? Like, how much more can I, do I have to prove? And I'm already the best basketball player in the world. Not only that, you know, he was an Olympic gold medalist to boot. So, I mean, there really, was mu- yeah. there really wasn't much else for him to do at that point. And then he wanted to pursue his passion. And the media jumped all over Willis because he had gambling debts or his father's life was on him. That's a deplorable, that's a black eye for, you know, for sports media back then. And, and, for Jason, for Jason here to go in and, and be able to Definitely. document that, you know, that took a lot of courage to 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 do and to get out of Mike because luminaries really don't have to speak to the press. We see that more now than ever when it comes to the NBA, where athletes won't necessarily go to the press unless they have something to promote or if they want to, you know, trigger some beef. Otherwise, they go to their social or, media platforms or they they speak with, you know, people that they're they're close to, but they keep it tightly under wraps. Yeah, this is why you now see these um, athletes, um, LeBron, KD, uh, you name it, Steph. Um, I think uh, there's there's a whole bunch of athletes now that have their own media, social media platforms or their own, you know, media companies that they go through whenever they want to issue a statement or speak on, you know, things that are going on in their life so that it can be documented accurately um, instead of these false narratives getting out. And so uh, you can see a lot of what Jordan went through um, prepared a lot you know, a lot of these athletes for today and how to handle these situations um, without having the media having so much control or say so over exactly, you know, what's going on. And I commend them because, um, you know, the media has sometimes a sick way of twisting shit. And, you know, us doing this podcast, we're we're considered the media as well. So (laughs) breaking in, baby, Uh, we here now. We done kicked the door down. We ain't going nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. We consider the media as well. So, you know, um, of course, there's going to be things that we may say on here that people um, may not like or may not feel is true because it's opinionated. But at the same time, using death, um, somebody's death, especially a father, as a way to create a, you know, a front page story is uh, I think that's uh, tasteless. So, um, yeah. Michael Jordan goes ahead and he retires. Right. He retires. He shocks the world. He retires. Right. Um, And everybody's like, okay, what's next? And Mike says, bet, I'm going to go play baseball. Right. Um, honestly, I was like, this man is too. What? <laughs> I'm like, baseball? Like, yeah, you, you about to go ahead and go play baseball. You didn't dominate basketball. I can understand the, the reason for leaving basketball. He didn't have any more challenges. He, you know, he conquered everything, really, in basketball by 93. Um and so he decides that, okay, I'm going to go ahead and play baseball. Um, a lot of people counted him out. 
um, a lot of people were, I, I would say they're probably happy because they knew that Michael Jordan is probably going to fail at something and they were going to be able to capitalize off of it. Um, as you've seen in the documentary, Sports Illustrated um, decided to do that when they said that he was embarrassing the White Sox in baseball um, by, Definitely by playing played baseball. Definitely played themselves. You know, um, they did play themselves. He ended up not talking to them, and I'm pretty sure he's still not talking to them till this day because of that. Hold um, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. To this day! <laughs> that, absolutely <laughs> to this day they not you know not talking to them um you they played themselves but at the same time um you got to commend mike because um he could have came in and said hey i'm michael jordan i'm gonna do it my way and maybe i might be successful at it i mean he started off with a 13 game hidden streak um in double a and let's get let me harp on that he started off playing baseball after not playing for 13 years and went to double A. If you know anything about baseball, that does not that is not common. That's not that's that's uncommon. Ever. That, that is never very happens. uncommon. You do not go to start playing baseball and you haven't played baseball in 13 years and you start off at double A. I mean, they explain they explain why they had to because they needed somewhere that they can have enough media coverage to, uh, you know, to to support what was going on. So they couldn't put him in summer ball, um, but they just had for, to put him in double A. Just for context, Tim Tebow, when he went out and was in the Mets uh, farming system, he started out in triple A and he's been playing. He's been a two sport. He was a two sport athlete at the time while he was at Florida as well, even though he wasn't. I don't know if he was on the team. Uh, on scholarship right. to he play wasn't baseball. Too far removed from, he, he wasn't too far removed from baseball when he actually went, you know, back to play baseball. Right. He wasn't too far removed. Jordan was 13 years removed from playing, like even swinging a bat and playing baseball. So what he did was, you know, was tough. And you got to give him credit, man. That he didn't make excuses. You know, he started off with that 13-game hidden streak because I think um, those, you know, those pitchers were, you know, probably mystified that Michael Jordan's playing baseball and they probably didn't think that, you know, he had any skills. So they were just throwing fastballs to him all day. I mean, you're not seeing anything but fastballs. You're going to adjust to it and you're going to start hitting them. Um, after they realized, like, oh, he's got a little skill, they start throwing him breaking balls. Um, he started striking out. He started, I mean, he started looking like, you know, a rookie, looking like somebody who hadn't played baseball in a while. But as you continue to watch the documentary, you see the work that he put in. You see him taking batting practice three times a day. Um, you see him wanting to get better, wanting to improve. And you, uh, they say that he was hitting 200, you know, in double A. And if you know anything about baseball, hitting 200, I mean, for what he was doing at the time was pretty impressive. It, well, I mean, that was hella hell impressive. So you got to give him props for that. Um, the one thing that I want to say about this, leading for him, you know, he played baseball and he was going to continue playing. And they said, you know, Terry Francona said, hey, if Michael Jordan had 1,500 at-bats, he would have made it to the major league. Shout out to Tito. Which leads me, yeah, which leads me to my next point. If that was, If it wasn't for that strike in 1995, that baseball strike. Do you think Michael Jordan would have continued playing baseball and wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought about basketball again? That's that's when the stars align, bro. I honestly feel like if they didn't have the strike, he we wouldn't have a, a second three peat because the motivation behind him, but the motivation behind him going to baseball was not only because he felt like there were no more challenges for him in the NBA, but that works twofold. He was in search of of purpose. He was in search of trying to find a new challenge. I've already mastered the game of basketball three times over. 
I'm a national championship. I'm a national champion at my college. I'm a three. I'm a three time NBA champion. I'm yeah. a I'm a Olympic gold medalist. I'm done. And not only that, but he had he 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 hammered it into people's heads. My father's dream for me was to be a baseball player. His brother, uh, Larry Jordan, said the the idea or the the mold of us growing up, we were molded to be baseball players. That was basketball was secondary. That was the that was the initial goal. And of course now, being motivated uh behind his father's untimely demise, this is what daddy would want me to do. So of course, this is what I'm I'm gonna fulfill his dream. And of course I'm gonna do it to the highest level I can because that's what that's how I attack everything. So I honestly feel like, bro, if it if it weren't for the lockout and him kind of like sitting on his hands, like I need something to do, I need something to challenge me. Mm-hmm. We would be talking about Michael Jordan being in the same vein of as a two sport athlete as we do talk about Dion and Bo Jackson. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. I mean, he, I, I would, you know, a part of me. Well, first, I want to thank the MLB for having a lockout. Oh, thank you for going on strike and having a lockout. <laughs> I, man, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you guys for having a lockout because y'all gave us back the best basketball player that ever played the game. Phil so, said something. He said, he said you'd be robbing people of a – you'd be robbing of society of a gift, but he's of like, I gift. understand when you left. And, and baseball, the MLB having a lockout gave us back that gift. So Word. I personally want to thank the MLB for that. But then <laughs> tenfold, <laughs> tenfold, I think that, man, it would have been kind of cool to see Michael Jordan in the major leagues trying to make it and trying to be, you know, a dominant baseball player. I don't – like, based on his competitive drop, I don't see why that couldn't have happened. You know, it may have, it may not have happened in year one. It may not have happened in year two. But you know, after a while, you know, he was starting to pick up things, and he picked it up pretty quick in double A. Who's to say he wouldn't picked it up quick in the MLB in the majors? So, um, part of me is always like, what could have been there? But I mean, it's a quick thought. Let's also, let's also, uh, let's. I would also, rather see the NBA. Let's also not discount Michael's intangible ability to make his teammates better, not just in. Uh, the NBA, but we're talking about even back to when he was at North Carolina, he played with James Worthy. You know what I mean? That's another Hall of Famer. So who's to say that um, that leaders, that capability for leadership or that capacity for leadership would have carried over into double A? And if he'd have made it to the majors at the White Sox, who's to say he wouldn't have made certain players better at the time? Mind you, when he was considering going into the minors, the, when the news broke of his retirement, the White Sox were already in the playoffs. They were still a good team. And again, I, I can't reiterate, I can't I can't help but reiterate that the stars were aligned. The owner of the Bulls was the owner of the White Sox. So opportunity was kind of already there. And Reinsdorf said himself, we couldn't send him to AAA because number one, he was a, he was just too skilled. And two, the fact that the AAA arenas weren't built for the press that was going to be all over this Michael Jordan issue. So we had no choice but to send him to AA. Right. I mean, hey, I, I I understand. I understand it, you know, and, I, and like I said, I agree with you. I think that Mike would have made the people around him better just and it's it just, it, you know, baseball is a different sport from basketball. Um, I think the way he would have made those players better is just by his work ethic. Um, same way in basketball, you know, um, he talked about it and I'm, we'll get into it a little later. But Mike was a person who he talked. 
He talked a lot. But he's very he also vocal. Also led by example. You can't be you can't be a leader. You can't be a leader and not lead by example. I don't believe that. You know, um, if you're a leader and you just talk, you just you just you just fluff. It's just a lot of fluff. You have to get out there and you gotta you know give that servant leadership. You gotta get out there and lead by example. And when people see you doing things that you you know you want them to do, you, it shows it shows a level of commitment shows a level of commitment that people can get behind and also, you know, follow. So um, you got to commend him on that. And I, and I know without a doubt that if he was in the majors, he would have made his teammates better yeah. um, just by his work ethic alone. And so, uh, yeah, Mike, Mike ends up, you know, coming back to basketball. But in that time that he was gone, you know, um, you got to give Phil Jackson some credit. Uh, that triangle offense was moving. And they were winning games. They played pretty well that first year without Jordan. For sure. Uh, they tend to say they said they said that they played well because, you know, it seemed like, you know, that uh that that fierce competitive uh whatever you want to call it, you know, scolding was gone with Michael being gone and they were able to relax a little bit and actually, you know, enjoy the game and play some ball. And uh Phil Jackson did a great job with that team, man. Uh Scottie Pippen is not known as a scorer, but you know, he really evolved in that role of being number one. Right. You know, in that in that, that first year that Mike was gone. Right. Um, he, I mean, he played amazing. Uh, he was an MVP that year. He was an M, uh, MVP, MVP All Star game. He was an MVP candidate and an MVP All Star game that year. Yep. Um, he really elevated his game to a level that was, you know, superstar level, uh, where you could believe that he could carry the franchise going forward. Um, they brought Tony Kukoc over. And Tony Kukoc, you know, he he showed and proved. He didn't play a lot of defense, but he showed and proved with a shooting touch. Um, they ended up getting Steve Kerr, um, which, you know, his pedigree, he's a uh, dead, dead marksman from the three. Yeah. Um, brought over, you know, a few more players. Brought over Ron Harper. So these players were, you know, they came after Jordan was gone, and, you know, they showed and proved. B.J. was still there, B.J. Armstrong, and um, they played pretty well, and they made it to the playoffs. And they got to the playoffs and they got to the uh, Eastern Conference semis. And there was something that happened in that semis um, that changed, you know, I would say a lot of people's perception on Scottie Pippen going forward. Um, you know, you spend a whole, you spend years building a reputation, man. You could spend, you know, 20 years building a reputation, man, and, and five minutes can change it. Mm. A moment can change your reputation forever. Um, if you guys, you know, didn't see, uh, they were Eastern Conference semifinals. They were playing the uh, New York Knicks. The Knicks were up 2-0 in the series. Third game was in Chicago, and the Bulls were up 2. Uh, the Knicks tie the game with 1.8 seconds left, and Phil Jackson calls a timeout. In the timeout, he's diagramming the play, and he says that you know throughout the season, Tony Kukoc was great at hitting last-second shots, and they show, you know, about four or five of them he hit, game winners he hit um, during that season at the end of the game. And so Phil draws the play for Tony to get the shot. Now, Scotty feels slighted because Scotty's like, you wouldn't do that if Michael Jordan was here, you know? But now that Mike's not here, you're drawing a play for Tony Kukoc, you know, um, who they already had um, a kind of beef with when Jerry Krause was calling him the future of the Bulls in 1990 or 1991. Exactly. While the Bulls were winning championships, he's already thinking about the future and, you know, Pip and Jordan take it out on Kukoc who played for Croatia during the, during the Olympics. Right. And so uh, Kukoc finally joins the team. He's showing and proving, but 
you know, Scotty feels slighted that Phil Jackson would call the final play for Tony Kukoc to win the game-winning shot. And in that moment, he decides, and I, and no matter what he says, I know that he wants his back. He decides to quit on his teammates and not go in the game because he did not agree with Phil Jackson's decision with giving Tony Kukoc the last shot. Um, he stunned the team. Um, that's something that you never really see in sports. If you've ever played team sports, you know it's a cardinal sin to quit on your teammates, especially during the game. In the and not even in the game, a tie game with 1.8 seconds left. Scotty says he's not going in. Um, Phil verbatim says, "Fuck him," <laughs> and he put <laughs> he puts in Pete Myers to inbound the ball, and they inbound the ball, and Tony Kukoc hits the game winning shot, and he hits it. You know. Uh, I think that that was a very, very um, vital point in, you know, the run and in this documentary. Uh, Scottie Pippen, you know, as much as he says that he would do the same thing again, I honestly believe that, you know, he said, he, uh, you know, they gave a speech after the game. Bill Cartwright cried and told Scotty that he quit on his team. He apologized for it and they moved on. But that's always going to be a stain on Scotty's reputation. Yeah. Um, he's a great player, top 50 of all time, one of the best defenders um, we've ever seen in this game. But, you know, him quitting on his teammates in the moment when they really needed him um, kind of takes him out of that, you know, discussion of really being, you know, um, sorry to say you know one of the best ever like at his position you know you never would hear about that from any of these players quitting on their teammates and not going into a game um it, it just especially with scotty not being a pass first person i just think that i mean not being a score first person i'm sorry he's not a score first person and for him to kind of you know put himself in front of the team in that moment I think was a defining moment for him. You know, Mike even said that Scotty made a mistake. He knows better than that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. How do you think that people will perceive that going forward, especially people who didn't know about Scotty Pippen? Well, I agree with you. Uh, I think when you talk about when you had those Mount Rushmore conversations, Scotty kind of xed himself out, um, and it's and it's kind of sad because he was a he was a, a Chicago favorite. Like we we rode ride or die with Scotty, but. You can't mention the six championships when you talk about Mike. You can't mention the six with Mike without Scotty. You can't mention Scotty without Mike. And you would love to be able to say that they both had a, you know, a squeaky clean track record. Um, I know from from a personal standpoint, I always felt a sense of pride knowing I can hang my hat on when we talk about, oh, Mike and Scotty versus Kobe and Shaq, who was a better, you know, duo. And I say, well, just due to the fallout, everything was even. You know, they had the same coach, the same dynamic, some of the same players. You got to think Ron Harper was on the Lakers. Horace Grant was on the Lakers. You understand? So yeah. a lot of – Tex Winter was one of the coaches that Phil brought over there to L.A. Hey, by the way, before you continue, give Tex Winter his credit. For he sure. the architect of the triangle offense that people see that has won, you know, Phil Jackson 11 championships. Yeah. The triangle offense is, I mean, it's legit. It may not be people's cup of tea, but it works. And you got to give Tex, Tex winners credit. He he, the one that, you know, arch, he's the architect. And, I, and, and, and it actually got showcased to another level once Mike left when Scotty was at the forefront. But like you said, the fact that he chose to put himself above the team in that moment, um, you just don't see that when it, when you're talking about killers who you can really go to battle with or who you can go to war with. And they and Steve Kerr mentioned that he said a quote in the documentary. He said that we were more so shocked than anything because we all know that that's not Scotty's character. So he kind of was yeah. feeling himself a little too much. 
And uh, shout out to to Bruce Blitz. I was listening to his podcast uh, yesterday, and he said, you know, it kind of showed you where Scotty was at in terms of being wanting to be the number one, but displaying that he was the ultimate number two. He was a prototypical point forward, but uh-huh. even when it came down to like the season not being the best mentally. When he started pointing at the shoe, he was like, hey, Mike, bring your ass back, bro. This is <laughs> a little too much going on. I'm underpaid. Y'all taking me out of games and stuff like that. Like, this ain't for me, bro. So Yeah, that, 90, that 95 season, that 95 season, I mean, was actually worse. That first season, 94, was a great season. But yeah. 95, they, they, the wheels were starting to fall off. It's like, all right. Mike's not here, and the mic effect was really starting to take. You know, not, not to mention, not toe. to mention the fact that he was having some off the court issues as well. There was a situation where he uh, had a gun um, in his in his car, uh, and and you know he had some issues with the police with that, and he also got arrested later on down the line. I think he was with the Blazers or with, one either with the Blazers or with the Rockets, but just a, just a lot of off court type. Off court stuff going on. When you talk about that in comparison to Michael, the most that he ever had uh, in recent memory was the gambling. Obviously, Man, yeah, you got to understand when you winning, it's all good. You know, when you winning, all that stuff is swept under the rug. Once you start losing and you're not winning championships, you start getting in trouble and you start, you know, those little blips they start to come out. People, you know, it's not it's not something they can sweep under the rug anymore. People right. start to say those are the reasons why, you know, you're not winning and you know all those all those different type of things. But yeah, it was just very um, you know, if you never, you know, knew about the Bulls and knew about that time where Scotty was in charge, you know, it it, it was eye-opening because, you know, it's hard it's easy to say that you're the number 1 because you score and you get points but being a leader and being a real number one and being a real leader takes more than just you know getting the last play drawn up for you you know um there's a level of humility that you have to you know uh you have to put out there so yeah. that you know you, you have to accept it sometimes it's not going to be all about you everybody not mike let me tell you that yeah but the best player you normally the best player does get this does get the shot at the end and so i could understand his frustration at that point i'm not gonna sit up here and be a hypocrite and say i don't understand his frustration i understand your frustration but you don't quit you don't that's that's a no-no that's a cardinal sin you definitely don't do that but you know scotty goes ahead and do that and they and they actually they win that game the series is 3-1, and they tie it up, and they go to a game seven, and they lose that game seven. But it, I honestly believe if they don't lose that game seven to the Knicks and they win, they go to the finals. Oh, yeah. And, and they go to the finals. And and I think that if, in my personal belief, if they lose that finals and Michael Jordan is watching them lose that finals in 94 – He's back at the beginning of '95. He doesn't come mm. back in the middle. Of, he doesn't come back in the middle of '95. He's him, him seeing them lose without him seeing them, them lose without him in the Eastern semis. Um, probably stroked his ego a little bit because by watching these, you know, Mike has an ego. It is not even a question about it. He got some type of like his competitive drive is crazy. To this day, <laughs> his competitive drive is crazy and so him seeing them losing the semis probably stroked his ego a little bit and him seeing them lose in 95 and and then that mixed with the mixture of the strike was like you know what let's come back and do this yeah all the stars were aligning and what's so funny to me is how engaged he still was with the game of basketball like he had the game going in the clubhouse and he was in there watching it by himself and then they cut to another clip where i guess i during the playoffs he was in the crowd watching 
They they oh, yeah. they went to a clip of him clapping it up for after a great uh, defensive effort by by the Bulls at that time. So oh, he shot up the games. He shot up the games. Um, that was something that he did on a regular. Um, I he was he still loved the game, man. I just think he was exhausted. He was exhausted of being in that in that spotlight, you know. Um, and he had nothing else to prove. He just wanted a break, and I honestly believe that he just really wanted a break. Um, you know, we shit, we want a break from our regular jobs. You know, after after a month, <laughs> we want to take a vacation. You gotta realize, Mike really never got a vacation from from that basketball life, and and, and being the best player in the world, and not even the best player in the world, a global icon. You know, so you don't you don't get a break when you're a global icon. And I think that was his just way of like getting away from the game and, and falling back in love with it again. And um, at some point he fell back in love with it again. He started showing up to practices. He got B.J. Armstrong, got him to show up to a practice and he started showing up to practices for, you know, a week. And, you know, it got to the point where. He was he was ready to you know make his comeback. All right, so switching gears real quick, we can go on and on about the last dance. Uh, episodes nine and ten, they're gonna wrap up the '98 ECF with uh, the Bulls going against the Pacers. They're gonna cover Reggie Miller, and that was a tough, tough, tough Pacers team. But spoiler alert, the Bulls beat them. <laughs> and then obviously, and then obviously, and then obviously they're gonna go back into talking about. Um, the 98 finals against the Utah Jazz. I hope they talk about both. I hope they talk about both uh, finals events, the 97 and 98. But yeah. I'd imagine because they're going to cover the last shot, the documentary is oh. called The Last Dance. I think they just, they'll do a lot more extensive coverage about uh, that, tumultual, that tumultuous season uh, yeah. in 1998. So um, Absolutely. Um, before we even, you know, switch gears, and there's a couple things that I got to talk about in those last episodes mm. with that we just saw. The first thing is the Jordan Scott Burrell dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'm going to commend Scott Burrell for taking, for being the whipping post for Michael Jordan, right. like for those years. That was unbelievable, the way that Michael Jordan would just talk to him. Like, <laughs> man, this man was talking to he this was man. The, he was the he dirty. Was, he was the throwback Mario Chalmers. Man, he Mario Chalmers top top times ten, bro. <laughs> I'm talking about Michael calling all type of hoes, like you know, man, putting this man on blast on camera. Yeah. I personally believe that you know. Okay, I'm way sure you've seen. The, I'm, I'm sure you've been seeing the meme from the documentary when he was when they were in practice. And uh, he was doing all the, the the triple threat, the head fake, and all that. And oh, Mike, and, and Mike, Mike gave was, him. Mike that. was like, "Come on, man, <laughs> that bullshit! Come on, man, Mike didn't even play defense. Garbage." So that, I mean, Mike was like, "I know what you about to do." That's, yeah, he that was stepped one of those, back. Like, he stepped back off him. Like, man, what the? Go heck? ahead, go ahead, do all this, do all this textbook <laughs> stuff. You about to just turn around and shoot? I'm gonna block it. And that's and that, and, and it was just it was funny because. Mike knew Scott Burrell better than Scott in basketball terms, more better than Scott Burrell probably knew his competitive drive. 100%. And you know, Mike Mike was trying to get him to fight, and Mike said he was too nice of a guy. Um, but my thing with that is, you know, that worked then. I don't know. We we saw images of that with Kobe Bryant snapping on his teammates in practice and things of that nature years down the line. Yeah, that clip and, is floating around now. And and that clip was floating around at epic practice when he was calling them soft like Charmin and he walked out on them. And, and you know, you kind of see that leadership style, but I don't know if that's something that's going to work in today's game with, you know, social media picking up things by the minute 
you know, you got to understand, we're just now seeing this footage, and that was happening in 96, you know. Um, I don't see that. I don't see that type of leadership style kind of working in today's game. Um, a lot of these cats going to be asking for the fade. You know, <laughs> like they're going to be asking to go shoot a fair one outside. I don't I don't really see that, Um, you know, because calling them. I mean, there's ways to get, you know, and I respect Michael's competitive drive. I mean, you even see it. He the only time he really cried during his documentary when he was talking about and explaining his competitive drive, which was one of the realest moments that yeah. we saw in this documentary, you know, but I don't think that would work in today's style um, in today's game. Um, I know LeBron gets a, a knock on it because they claim that he's too nice and he wants everybody to like him. But I honestly believe that if he was the other way, we I mean, you kind of lose your teammates in this day of age because it gets out in the media that, you know, you're getting tre- you're getting disrespected by your teammates and, you know, um, they're calling you out of your name. And, you know, respect to Steve Kerr for standing up to himself, standing up for himself. And I mean, it, it came with a price. Mike, you know, clocked him in the face. But, you know, it came it came with a price. But, you know, Mike gained his respect. And from then on, they, they had a great relationship. And if you keep watching next week, you'll see, um, you know, uh, I'm not spoiling anything. It's history. Steve Kerr hits the, the game winning shot in the 98, I mean, in the 97 finals um, to beat the Utah Jazz. And it, I think that is a culmination of them having respect and trust for one each other and one, one another after that incident happened. And so, you know, that was one of the craziest things that I was seeing, that Scott Burrell dynamic. And I'm going to give him props for being, you know, um, being able to keep his cool. I don't think that I would have been able to do that. Um, and then the last thing <laughs> was the, I know you saw it. Everybody saw it. It was the greatest moment of this documentary so far. It was Gary Payton, the glove, talking about how he <laughs> about how he was getting up under Mike and making Mike tired, and he the one to change the series of the '96 Finals. And Mike is watching Gary Payton describe this on the tablet and loses and that it. laugh. And that laugh that Mike <laughs> that that laugh <laughs> that laugh man that laugh was one of the most maniacal like cynical type of laughs in He was like Mike that if that don't tell you how driven Michael was and how he just needed anything to get him an edge and how he still to this day will not you know anybody get a competitive edge on him just watch that clip i was talking about i was in tears chris well first off first off shout out to gp he was the defensive player of the year in 96 that's the glove the glove is a legend man yeah so love is a legend but we talking about mike we talking about the black cat 23 and red so i mean i get it but you're right. He he didn't have to do GP like that, man. He didn't have to do GP like that. I ain't gonna lie, man. Cause honestly, I mean, growing up, we all, you know, that's the glove. We like, man, Gary Payton got defense. He, yeah. you know what I'm saying? He locking cats up. And to see Mike in that moment laugh at Gary Payton and say, I didn't have a problem with I didn't the have glove. a problem with the glove. And man, I, that kind of ruined my childhood a little bit. Like, <laughs> damn, G, like, damn, Mike, you gonna do him like that? Now I'm thinking, you know, it was almost had that Patrick Beverly type of, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, thing around it. You know, Patrick Beverly, I, I really consider him with his trash talking and the way he tries to get into defenders as like a Gary Payton. I, I, obviously, I hold Gary Payton kind of a higher regard as, as far as his offensive skill set. But, you know, his defensive, you know, tenacity and a face he made when he said he turned, when Gary Payton said he turned the series around, Mike looked like, 
man, what series were you playing? So there, in? there's a you rumor. Know what I'm there's like, a rumor going out that uh, they lost those two games on purpose. Uh, the Bulls did, or they didn't play as hard. But I mean, just subconsciously, when you up three zero or you're up two zero, even in a series like that, nine times out of ten, you're gonna take your foot off the gas unless you're just super hungry. And with them going seventy two and ten, they already had the record. They already had a you know phenomenal defense. Um, when they got to the finals, it kind of was like a formality. Yeah, you know what I mean. They yeah. they they were full speed ahead on winning the championship. It yeah. didn't matter what the Sonics yeah. were going to go through with them. I do want to bring that's, a I do want to bring a couple there, of things to your attention. That's hey, that series. You, yeah, it, I mean it, you're right. Yeah. That series that series was sold up. Um, to me, it still resonates with me. Obviously, '96 is my favorite uh, finals for the Bulls. Just from a sentimental factor, it happened on Father's Day. I remember. Uh, that was right right at the age where I was able to, you know, co- fully comprehend, you know, what basketball meant to me. and Understand the game. Yeah, understand the yeah. ins and outs of the game. That's when I was tuning in to WGN, Channel 9, every other day when the Bulls were on TV, that 96 run. And yeah. a lot of my favorite players at that time, Ron Harper was an underrated defender. Uh, you talk about Steve Kerr. Obviously, the worm was doing his thing. He was the talk of the town in Chicago. I thought he was going to end up being Times Man of the Year during 96, but... Just speaking on, just speaking on, uh, like Scotty Burrell, uh, he was a good sport. You know what I mean? Not for nothing. The 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 sentiment is he was an underachiever. You know what I mean? You could have pretty much plugged anybody of comparable talent into that role because Scotty Burrell wasn't the make or break. He wasn't the X factor to them winning oh, the no, championship. He wasn't. They were gonna win it with or without Scotty Burrell. But uh, it it says a lot when the greatest basketball player of our time takes to you as a, as a, as a pseudo mentor or as a big brother or a bully to get you straight. It's a lot of people that would have killed to have been in Scotty Burrell's position. You know what I'm saying? You're damn right. Even folks that were even, even players that were in the league at the time, not everybody You're has Michael right. Jordan on their team. And You're damn right. when I you talk about the face still though, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> right on for sure. We'll go ahead. My fault. But I mean, would you, just think about it. When you when they did the clip of the '98, was it the '98 All Star Game in in in, uh, in the Garden? Uh, yeah, yeah. And Kobe's picking his brain. You know, mid game, he's asking him about the fadeaway. He's asking him about you know this situation, a that situation. By the way, a legendary, a legendary night. R- you know, R.I.P. to the bean. Yeah, one thousand percent. R.I.P. Kobe. R.I.P. Kobe. But um, you know, Scotty Burrell was in that position. He was in a privileged position to be around Mike every day on the plane in the hotels at practice. You know, we could we could legitimately be talking about Scotty Burrell in terms of being a great coach or a great uh, front office guy right now, just in terms of getting those intangibles, learning those lessons from the MJ. Game he soaked up. You know what I mean? Yeah, just off the game he soaked up. Circling back to what we were talking about in regards to Michael's uh, his method of leadership, you see it in spurts in the game today. You see it in a Russell Westbrook. You see it in a Patrick Beverly where they're fiery, even a Draymond Green to some extent. They don't have the same talent or necessarily the same acumen, but mm-hmm. um, when it comes to rallying their teammates or needling them, even Kobe, I feel like Kobe was the the closest one to emulating that, not just from uh, Co- the Kobe game. Kobe was that. Yeah, not just from a game yeah. standpoint, but just from everything, copying the leadership, copying how you handled yourself with the press on and off the court, uh, doing charitable things, you know, without the limelight of the media, not wanting to really showcase doing charitable things for people in the community. Kobe soaked up a lot of game from afar. 
whereas Scotty Burrell was soaking up game. It was also it was, it was like being forced on him. It was almost like you know you my child or you my you my you my youngest brother and you're gonna get this work whether you like it or not because it's gonna make you better in the end. You're gonna thank me in the end. So yep. kudos yep. to him for not so, only I mean, not only green lighting that footage but also being a part of the documentary. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have he he took it on the chin and everybody that was in the documentary from Scotty to Steve Kerr, they all said yeah he took it like a man because anybody else we wasn't having it. Like Mike can't talk to me like that. Mike can't handle me like that. But yeah, Scotty Burrell, he was a he, sport. yeah, he was a real good sport. He came with a positive attitude every day, at least from what we saw. And uh, it made for good team camaraderie, or at least for that for that year, it made for the focus. But yeah, at yeah, the end of the day, man, he did GP wrong, on and off the court. <laughs> George Carl, uh, he was in a similar situation in the '09 Western Conference Finals, if you remember. Melo had to step up and be like, George, I hear what you're talking about, but fuck what you're talking about. I'm guarding Kobe. It is what it is. So GP, reversing it back to, rewinding it back to 96. George, I hear what you're talking about, bro, but this is what we got. George Carl got a history. Yeah, he has a habit of, when it comes to situations. He got got a history with players. Players don't really play. Play, players really play. He's a great coach. He get he gets he, he gets results. Um, but a lot of players, if you if you go back and you kind of like do your you do your research on George Carl, you will see that you know um, he's not quite the players coach. Right. It's touch and <laughs> so, go. You know, it's that's touch another and go. Topic for another time. But he's not quite the players coach. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're leaving uh, a lot of meat on the bone. Though. That he's probably the worst coach that that they played for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, shout out to GP. Um, I'm just gonna end it by I'm just ending it by like, you know, hey, bring the Sonics back to Seattle, man. Make Those the jerseys. Sonics nineteen ninety six again. Hard. Those jerseys tough. Hard. Those Sonics jerseys probably one of the toughest jerseys in NBA history. Bring you the ain't gonna Sonics get no argument back, out of Please. me with that. Shifting gears. Please. Uh Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson yeah. allegedly allegedly took uh illegal benefits. Uh, why he, why, you know, during his tenure at Duke University, uh, he's only there for a year, but, you know, what star athlete, what star prospect doesn't? I got a lot to say on this. I'll let you go ahead. Well, well, just, just a little bit of background. Uh, Gina Ford, who's the president of Prime Marketing, is alleging that Zion uh, took a number of benefits on behalf of himself and on his parents, or on behalf of his parents, including money, favors, uh, real estate, cars, things of that nature. Uh, He's been in a lawsuit ever since, I believe, the day after he got drafted. That's when that lawsuit came out. It's over a $100 million lawsuit, uh, and it's not just about violating NCAA sanctions, but it has to do with uh, switching agencies. And and I'll let you speak a little bit more to that, Mo, just to get a viewer or a listener something to chew on. Yeah, so, you know, you're giving the background, but, you know, Gina Ford was the president of, a, of Prime Marketing Sports. Um, Zion signed with them, and he signed a five-year deal with the sports agency. A month into that deal, he then leaves and goes and signs with CAA. So, currently under CAA, new, ma- new sports management. Um, this is is two parts to this. So, Zion, they, you know, he switches and he breaches his contract. That's the first part. But then the second part to me is kind of like it's, it's a little shady and um, it's a little messy where Gina Ford wants him to admit and his family members to admit his mom and his stepdad that they took illegal benefits and favors um, from Adidas um, and other parties to attend Duke University. Um, and, you know, 
for me, this is it's a nasty, it's a nasty um, situation um, for Zion. Um, reason being is that, like I said, on one hand, you're breaching a contract. So if you know Gina Ford and Prime Marketing Sports want to, you know, they want to sue him for a hundred million because uh, let's be honest, Zion is gonna make a lot of money in this league. You know, if he continues doing what he's doing and being this, uh, a great prospect, he's going to make a lot of money in this NBA through his contracts, through endorsements. Um, he's going to do it. He's going to do it all. And, you know, prime marketing sports, they probably feel slighted that they're not going to get a dime from that because he went to CAA. And if you signed a five year contract and you breach that, you know, you got to kind of see legal implications coming forward from that. Right. And so um, that's where that's where we're at with it. But the part where they want him to come out and, you know, admit to taking benefits and taking favors to attend Duke University is, you know, it's Bush League, you know, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, if you listen to this podcast and you don't know anything about college sports, let's just say that um, probably more than 60 percent of them are getting paid. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is nothing I'm new. I'm just throwing that number out there. It could probably be more. This is nothing new. College players been getting paid to go to schools since the beginning of time, almost for years. You know, this is nothing new for a, a player to want to go to a, one of these blue blood schools, one of these great universities, and get an education for a year to four years. And they have boosters and who whatnot putting money in their pockets to make sure that they're them and their family are taken care of while they're at the university. Honestly, I don't even see a problem with it. You're telling me I have a problem more with the NCAA not giving these kids money. I mean, God, these kids are making millions and millions, billions of dollars for the NCAA through tournaments, through, you know, merchandise, through all the events that they put on. And you're not letting these kids see a dime. But it's illegal for somebody else to want to take care of them and give them money. I never under I've, I've never understood that. I've never understood the logic in that. And for Gina Ford to want Zion to come out and admit these things, I mean, even if he did, you know what's gonna happen. Duke is a what a, a, a historic program. They're gonna give Duke a slap on the wrist. What are they gonna tell Duke? Okay, we're gonna take away a couple scholarships for next year. You guys won't have a couple scholarships, and that's what's gonna happen. What she's trying to do is to get Zion to ruin his reputation, um, ruin his reputation for the long run with possible endorsements in the future and his, you know, his reputation with kids and, and people in the league. And I think that's just dirty. Now, if you want to sue him for leaving y'all, um, leaving your agency and you're not going to be able to recruit some of that money that you thought you were going to get from him, fine. But getting him to admit to something that all these players are doing, I mean, it's just low. It's dirty. Um, I don't agree with it at all. Um I commend Zion for not saying anything, and if he's going to fight this, I commend him on fighting that as well. Um, it's almost solidifying why he probably left prime marketing sports in the first place. I wouldn't be surprised if they were giving him money even before he got to that agency. So for them to be hypocrites and kind of saying, hey, you know, admit to you taking money and doing all this, uh, doing all this shady stuff, I mean, is, is wrong. And I don't know if you guys have never, ever watched this show, you should. It's um, it's a documentary on HBO. It's called The Scheme. Shout out to Scheme. Um, it's called The Scheme. I know, you seen it, Chris? Yeah, I watched I watched it maybe two or three times, actually. I th I'm pretty sure I told you to watch it. It's about yeah, it's unbelievable. the NCAA ring. It's unbelievable. It's about a kid named Christian Dawkins. Uh, Christian Dawkins is the GOAT, in my opinion. Um, 
this kid got investigated and they tried to and my they tried to entrap the kid pretty much the fbi tried to entrap the kid by having him you know give money to coaches to give to players so that they could arrest all of them and say that see we caught all you guys we know that you guys are playing players but he ends up finessing the fbi um you just got to watch it. It's great. But it, it pretty much explains this Zion situation in a nutshell. Um, I just believe that, you know, let Zion be Zion. If you're going to sue him for leaving your company, then that's fine. But don't make him admit to some things that um, thousands of players that's going to get money after him and before him have done. Right. Breach of contract. That should be the, the meat and potatoes of the lawsuit. Move on because there's going to be no, a, a, a plethora of kids. There's going to be another Zion coming down the pipeline pretty soon. Uh there's a kid out in Detroit, uh, Imani Bates. He's supposed to be the next Kevin Durant, like the legit oh, next Kevin he got Durant. G. That he boy got, nice. There was a Imani game. Bates is nice. Yeah, last year there was a game where he went up against Bronny James. Yeah. Uh, not saying that he's going to sign with Prime Market in, but just in, just as an example in terms of you know basketball isn't going anywhere. There's there's too much money out here to be made from the TV contracts to the the merchandising to. Everyone now has their own personal brand. Prime marketing, prime marketing will be fine. They're they gonna have they're gonna have a bunch of different prospects. They could have got their hands on some some guys now, uh, if it weren't for obviously because of the circumstances with the country. But it's salty. They'll be it's all salty. Right. These kids are getting paid. These kids are getting paid. Look, Zion. I bet you if he took money to go to Duke. Uh, you could find all them kids took money to go to do. Then tell everybody to start snitching on themselves. Get out of here, man. Stop being soft. <laughs> Take that L. Hold that L. Go sue him. Do whatever you got to do legally to get your money that you thought you was going to get from Zion. But stop being salty and making him trying to admit to uh, trying to ruin the kid reputation when you know all these kids doing it. Come on, man. All right. We got we got a really good topic to, to, to end episode one. Uh, and Mo, you brought it up last night. Um, this is yeah. probably going to be a, a stalwart for the for the show. Uh, yeah, who's a Hall of Famer and and who's not? Uh, yeah, recently, Sean Marion, <laughs> a sixteen year vet, came out and said if he doesn't make it, it's due to politics because the Hall of Fame is essentially picking on him. Uh, and we we did some digging. Pulled up some numbers, yeah. and so we can we can we can talk about it for a second. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, can't even get it out. I'm sure you're ready. To, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna a, let I'm you a, handle I'm it. A, I'm gonna let I'm gonna read off. Um, and I got respect for Sean Marion. I think that Sean yeah, shout to Sean Marion. You know, one of the one of the better players that played in the NBA. Um, if you've never seen him play, um, he's famous for his unorthodox shot. Um, even though it was unorthodox, it went in. Yours, it, it, your, it, your it, shot it, is it, just it like his, not not to mention. Come on, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the out of here. But, you know, uh, you know, Sean Marion, um, like you said, he feels that he doesn't know how people are voting, you know, people to get into the Hall of Fame, but he thinks that he's put a, his imprint on the game enough to be in the Hall of Fame. So after I read that, I had to go do some digging. Mm. And I'm just going to kind of list off, you know, his accomplishments. And then we could talk about whether he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. So Sean Marion played 16 seasons. Um, he was a ninth pick out of college at UNLV. At UNLV. Uh, his career averages. He averaged 15.2 points per game. Um, averaged 8.7 rebounds and 1.9 assists mm. per game. He was a four-time All-Star. A two-time All-NBA player. Um, he was a one-time champ. Uh, that one time was the 2011 series. Uh, the Mavericks beat the Heat. 
in that series. A lot of people remember that. Um, he was he had only one season of averaging less than ten points per game, um, and that was his last season. Um, I only think he played a full season, or he wasn't even a starter that last season. Um, and he had two seasons in which he averaged over twenty points per game, and that's when he was playing with the Phoenix Suns. Um, and he also led the league in steals twice. Uh, and so after reading all of these things, I'm just looking at it on paper. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. No, hell no. <laughs> he um, said, hell no. You are not a hall of famer. You're not a hall of famer. Um, good. I mean, solid. You get a solid, solid, very solid NBA career. Um, a lot of people would love to play 16 seasons. A lot of people would love to average 15 points a game and eight rebounds for their career. Um, but nah, that's not enough, bro. It's not enough, bro. Nah. Um, we got to stop this, man. Um, I'm going to just be honest. Uh, the Hall of Fame is the creme de la creme. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not like, the Hall of Good or the Hall it, of Great. It, it's, it's not the, the Hall, Hall of Fame. Exactly. Exactly, man. We're not doing the Hall of Good. It's the Hall of Fame for a reason. Everybody play, but everybody don't get a ring, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you, everybody plays the game, but that doesn't mean because you play for 16 years that you're in a Hall of Fame, man. That's just a different standard, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just different things. Like, I can't really take a look at any of these things that I'm looking at on paper. Like, his accomplishments, and, I mean, come on, man, no defensive player of the year. I mean, didn't even win the rookie of the year. Like, I mean, come on, man. There's nothing on here. You're a one-time champ with the Mavs. I mean, you played a good – you played a decent part in it. I mean, you let the league in steals twice. <sighs> nah, bro. I can't even, like – I'm just looking, and I, it's a hell – it's a hell no, you know. Spent nine, no, spent, spent nine seasons with the Suns uh, in the – the late two thousand, early early to, to mid two thousands, in the tumultuous West, where the Western Conference was stacked, uh, top to bottom. Uh, yeah, of, but guess who his point guard was when he when he was averaging I'm, all them points? Who was his point guard? I'm just, tell me that. I'm just trying to tell the guys what's going bro. on, bro. Don't his shoot me. I'm not Charmeri. Point guard was Steve I'm Nash. Not, yo, I'm not his saying it's political. Steve Nash. <laughs> I'm no, not. It's not political. I'm not Steve. He's, he's I'm tripping. not Sean Marion's agent, bro. I'm just. I'm just trying to give a little context. Nine seasons with the Suns. Obviously, he played alongside uh, a future Hall of Famer in Steve Nash. Back-to-back MVP. Tumultuous Western Conference. The seven seconds or less offense under Mike D'Antoni. Uh, like you said, he spent uh, five seasons. Was it five seasons? Nah, with I the Mavs. Right. Yeah, was it five seasons with the Mavericks? It was a few seasons with the Mavs. Five seasons with the Mavericks, including uh, the 2011 uh, championship. I wouldn't even say that he was uh, a a stalwart in in that on that team. When you think about that 2011 team, obviously they were underdogs against the Heatles. Um, I think you think about Dirk first, obviously, but who else? Who was the supporting cast? You're talking Jet Terry. You're talking Jason Kidd. Sean Marion comes in a distant third, fourth for me. I mean, Sean Marion was a small forward. I can't really put him. I mean, no, man. I'm sorry. I see what you're saying. I see what you're you trying to make an argument. <laughs> I'm not trying to make an argument. I'm not trying to make an argument. No, no, I'm just giving argument. context. I understand. I res- and I respect him. No, you're giving context, and I respect him, man. But goodness gracious, you can't be in a Hall of Fame, bro. Goes down to Miami. F- goes down to Miami for two years. He has a cup of coffee in Cleveland. Ends it out yeah. in Toronto and, and calls it a career. Uh, great teammate. You know, great locker room leader. Uh, obviously, he was uh, serviceable, serviceable enough that he was able to have a, a a pretty decent career. Sixteen years is a long time in the NBA, uh, yeah. especially at that high level when you have younger players coming in and when you're viable to be in the playoffs or be in the championship picture. Uh, 
year in and year out um, when coaches in front front office are thinking about who do we need, you know, to strengthen our roster when they think of a Sean Marion. But when it comes to the Hall of Fame, bro, you're looking a little funny in the light. You you need you need a little bit more pep. You know, you need a little bit more pep in your step. So uh, yeah, I hate to do it to you, but nah, bro, I can't go. Listen, I mean, great player, you know, from the crib and, you know, was a good player and, you know, but nah, man. And, you know, and I won't say he doesn't have a good point because um, there's players that have been close. I'm just going to name this person right now. Um, this person's in the Hall of Fame and um, I want to kind of name off his stats and I'm going to just see if you know. If I can tell. All right. Is. Ooh, game yeah, show. I mean, show. you probably okay. won't. <laughs> but, you know, uh, this guy averaged in his career 18.2 points, 4.1 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.6 steals. Um, his best season, he averaged 26.5 points and 5.9 rebounds. Uh, he played for the Golden State Warriors in Indiana places. And he played 16 seasons. From when to when? From 1985 to 2001. 85. Average, he said 16 points? He averaged 18 points. 85, 85. You're not going to really. 85 to 2001, two he played for the Golden State Warriors and the Indiana Pacers. Oh, I was getting, first I was getting ready to say uh, Joe Dumars. 85. Uh, oh, you, are, you, are, you said uh, Golden State and who? Golden State and Indiana. Golden State Indiana. Uh, Mark Jackson? Nope. Chris Mullen. Ah, uh, Mark now, Jackson. Now, what? Now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out to Mark Jackson too. Shout man. out to Jay. Hey, give him a job, man. Hand down, hard, man, man down. You shout out, hand down, game. man down. Uh, you, you know, you know the rules, but you know that was Chris Mullen's stats, and so Chris Mullen, you know, not too far off of what Sean Marion did. You know, not too far off of what Sean Marion did. He's in a Hall of Fame, but when I take a look at his impact in the game, like Sean Mer I mean, uh, Chris Mullen was a part of something. He was part of Run TMC. Yeah, he's you know? part of the Dream Team as well. Let's not forget he's part that. of Dream Team. Like you gotta, like you know, you gotta, you gotta put your stamp on the game in other ways. You know, yeah. um, a lot of people think Melo it won't is not doesn't have a Hall of Fame career, which is nuts to me. But I'm Mello, one of them. I'm one of those people. Melo got you tripping. Melo got gold medals. We'll say that Mello for we'll medals. say that for another episode. Yeah, yeah, but you know, so I'm not knocking Sean. I'm not knocking Sean Marion for for you know feeling the way that he feels. But it's it's a no because other than your championship, you didn't really leave your mark on the game right. doing things that people can you know say, oh Sean Marion. I remember. I mean, the only thing I'm a, a lot of people gonna remember him for is is like the way his jump shot looked. It went in, but that I mean, if that's what people are remembering you for, then it's not Hall of Fame level. I got you for sure. I think we're in yes, agreement sir. on that. I'm going to get this oh, yeah. shoe run down out of the way, and then we're going to burn out. Uh, obviously, I've been having trouble getting these uh, getting these fives for two, three days, two, three weeks. Shout out to Dino. He actually got me hooked up, got me situated. I had an order in. They confirmed it. Then they canceled it. Then they were sold out. Then they restocked and sold out again. So mm. I finally got them. They on the way. Uh mm. Part of this podcast, obviously, my enthusiasm has been sneakers. I've been a sneakerhead ever since I was able to afford getting them on my own because my mama used to stick me with Converse and and uh, New Balance and Vandals back in the day. So when I got my first job, about you though, 
one thing about you, you are gonna get those shoes. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's is is God country sneakers. You feel me? For me, so <laughs> uh, we're gonna do the rundown for this week. And uh, if anything jumps out at you all, make sure to email us at the Hitman Podcast at gmail dot com. We're also available on Instagram at the Hitman Podcast. So, real quick, uh, May fourteenth, the PG fours coming out, PCG model. You also got the Comme des Garcons Nike Dunks dropping on the fourteenth. Air Max ninety green camo. Those are highly sought after now. Uh, dropping nasty. yeah, dropping May fifteenth. Uh, May 16th, I know you're interested in this. The LeBron Lakers, LeBron 7 Retro in the Laker colorway. Oh, man, uh, some interest in that. Yeah. The Adidas Yeezy 500, the Tyrion, uh, black and blue oh, joint. And then LeBron Low 17. So he's dropping the 7 Retro on the 16th, and he's also dropping the 17 Low uh, in the Bone colorway. Them are, them are hard. I like them a lot. Them and seven retros is nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always, so I, I've never bought a pair of bronze, but I always, we can say that too, but I've always been a fan of that line. The seven, eight, nine, right when he was like about to, he was in that Miami wave. First, he first got there. Those was like the hardest, the hardest colorways and the hardest models. I think he brought Tinker back in for those at the time. Yeah, somebody got them LeBron South Beaches that they wanted Ooh, to, you know, hand off. That to was the only way. time I was tempted ever. I had to turn away. I can't. No. I could. I couldn't get away from Mike though. My my. You know what I'm saying. My loyalty is is, is still with 23 and red. And then you and then you rounding out the weekend May 17th. Adidas is uh, revamping the Ultra Boost. They're bringing them back out in true white. Just um, I'm appreciating anybody who's gonna take the time to listen to this. Um, it's something that me and you, like I said from the beginning, had um, a vision of doing years yeah. ago. Um, never really had to. I'm gonna say really had the time to really sit down and actually put it together, but we would talk about it, and you know this um, this whole COVID situation, it just put things into perspective. Like, hey, man, you know, go go after it, do it, and it allowed us to you know allowed us to really settle down, uh, talk about it, and just put it out there for the people to um, listen, and hopefully you know they enjoy it. Um, wow, you know, last thing I have to say, man, make sure that you're protecting yourself. Make sure that you're protecting your families. Um, make sure that you know keeping yourself, uh, so keep your social distancing. Um, this thing is real, and you know we'll be back next week, man. And hopefully, you guys continue to enjoy the content we give you. Yeah, man, stay in the house, goofy. Shout out to everybody that tuned in. Make <laughs> sure again, don't forget to tune in next week for us. Uh, you can catch us, like I said, on Instagram at the Hitman Podcast. Email us questions or stuff that you want to see coming on to the podcast is thehitmanpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out our personal pages at labeled and known. Mo underscore Sal one. All right, that's episode one. We're gonna get up out of here. Appreciate y'all checking in. We out. Yo, yo. Center. Oh!